0: Feel the rhythm. The highlight of your week has arrived, Andrew. Yes, it has. Feel the rhyme. I don't know how to say your Instagram handle, so I'm not even going to try. Get on up. It's 11 o'clock on a Saturday.
1: We all know what that means. That you're probably keeping me from watching a Liverpool game?
0: Yep. It's podcast time. <laughs>
1: About running. I am Adam Wheeler. You can find me on social media at Wheels Up in CLE. Joined as I always am by Andrew Hedinger, who you can find on social media at Andrew Runs a Lots. And today, a really, really great interview with Adam Wren. Adam Wren is a contributing editor to Politico, uh, covering politics. He's currently been largely focused on Democratic candidate Pete Buttigieg. And Andrew, I guess I should really bring you in and ask you how this all came about, because it turns out you and Adam have been talking for like four years now.
0: Yeah, a- Adam and I have uh, been pretty good Twitter running buddies for a while. I think longer than you and I have been, actually. Uh, Probably. I mean, I really started a running podcasts with the wrong guy. He's got a lot more followers than both of us. But uh, like, wow. no, he's. No, we've gone. <laughs> him and I have always had like you know fun banter back and forth. You know whether it's talking about running or even recently politics. Uh, I mean, he's been writing for them for years. He actually I hinted towards to it uh, when we were interviewing him that he had actually called me and we had an interview for Politico, and I've never seen the article. So um, I'm gonna hold him to. Sending me that article because I don't know if I was ever mentioned. I don't think I ever saw it. But yeah, him and I have been—we've been communicating for years. So I decided, with uh, the Democratic primaries heating up and him uh, following Pete Buttigieg, that maybe we should—maybe uh, we should have him on.
1: This is solid it was a good thought. time. It was. It was a really good interview. This goes. This goes for me into the upper echelon of interviews that we've had, right up there with, uh, with Darius Blackford. It's
0: setting the bar, pretty. Oh yeah,
1: deep. I I know.
2: <laughs> no,
1: you know, it was good though because you and I talked about this a little bit before we got on to record this after our interview with Adam. It yeah. was great because we got to kind of intersect running with politics and being a family man and just you know, kind of just talk about how running filters into all those different aspects of his life and it was great because it wasn't a political conversation per se and it wasn't a running conversation per se it was just kind of all of those things filtered together and it was
0: great we tried to keep political leanings out of this
1: you will find out who
0: who i wanted to vote for in 2016 but could not uh that's a and that's in there somewhere uh but yeah, we so this isn't like a divisive political interview we had. You know, no. we just had a chance to talk to somebody who's in the know and got a little bit, uh, a little bit of insight as to, you know, what it's like to be on the campaign trail with somebody not campaigning for Pete, just writing about him. Um, Adam is a he he's is very unbiased. Like if you read his stuff, I mean, he is. He writes like he talked tonight. I don't think you really could get a sense of whether he supports Pete. He just is a writer for Politico from Indiana. And that's kind of why he's with him. And it, it's just – it was really good stuff. Uh, he is faster than I remember him being. Yeah, he's he's got some legit times in there. Yeah. Uh, so does Pete. We're going we're gonna to yeah. hear about Pete's mile time, and uh, you can – do the math to take you to his uh, half-marathon PR. We didn't get that exact number out of Adam. We probably should have asked it. Oh, that's right. Uh, I forgot to get that. Yeah, we got it, like, before the interview. We didn't get it during the interview. Would, it, would a presidential candidate's half-marathon PR ever sway your vote?
1: No. No. I think the only thing that would sway my vote would be if they, like former Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, lied about their marathon time. Because having trained for a marathon, and and you've trained for marathons, there's probably nothing more dishonest in the running world than, you know, lying about the time that you got.
0: I I try to tune as much as I can after his name out. That's fair. but no what am, he, I, what am I missing?
1: Paul Ryan years ago lied
0: about his
1: marathon time. I, I forget what the lie was. Can you that he was much faster well, than he actually was.
0: What did he say his time was?
1: I don't know because I, I was just reminded of this right now, but I am Google. looking at this NPR article. Uh, um, so he, he ran. A um, he ran a four-hour, one-minute, twenty-five-second marathon. Um, I mean, that's not bad. It's not. That's that's not at all. Um, where is? He claims. He claims that he had run a sub-three.
0: Ooh! Now, oh shit, dude! I just found a website. Now as somebody who has flirted
1: with running close to a sub three and then has also run more around a three thirty. Um yeah, those are two very different times with two very different uh training programs and sacrifices. Yeah. Well, and, you know uh, what?
0: It's douchey to do that. Dude, I just found so there's actually a website <laughs> that I just found. It is Paul Ryan <laughs> What does this do? Paul Ryan marathon no, calculator? No, no, Paul Ryan time Okay. Are you going to it?
1: I am going to it right now.
0: You put in
1: your marathon time. Okay. <laughs> And it gives you your, your
0: <laughs> Paul I, Ryan adjusted marathon time.
1: I love how your time example 40125,
0: which is his actual time, is there. <laughs> All right, let's see. So, three, so you put four. in so I put in three seventeen oh seven. Your Paul Ryan adjusted marathon time is two twenty-three or two twenty-two fifty-three. And then it gives you the current oh, shit man what's your what's your paul ryan adjusted marathon time tell me you're a world record holder
1: i'm not a world record holder but i need to get my ass down to atlanta for the olympic trials because i have run an olympic trial qualifying marathon time i think this would put me in like the top 20 all time for american male marathon runners
0: do you notice okay so at the bottom above the word contact it just says
1: you ran that
0: <laughs> you ran that Woo! oh shit oh my god all right so without further ado we're not gonna paul ryan adjust um it's marathon time but here's our interview with uh Husband, father, marathon runner, and contributing editor to to Politico, uh, Adam Wren. Oh, dear God. All right, so Adam Wren, thank you for joining us tonight. Good to be with you. So uh, Adam is a contributing editor uh, with Politico Magazine, and and that's that's pretty sweet. Uh, You have a pretty good gig there. You, You do a lot with that, don't you? Yeah, it's pretty
2: cool. I get to kind of travel around the country and tell stories about uh, America. Which, you know, if somebody told me in high school that that's what I was going to be able to do, um, you know, that, that that would be a really cool thing to hear back then. So, I'm I'm very um, I'm very excited uh, to talk to you guys and to talk about uh, a little bit about what I do and, and running.
0: What, so you started a thing called Importantville. Uh, semi recently within the last couple of years, yeah. They, well, you started that, correct? Yeah, we that's kind of right. Yeah, that.
2: so um, I started a newsletter uh, that goes out a couple times a week, and it's sort of about it's sort of about like the intersection of um, politics and in um, the Midwest and Indiana. Um, uh, you know, after the twenty sixteen election, a lot of national pundits said you know that we needed to hear more from places like the Rust Belt, from places like you know, Cleveland, Columbus, uh, Indianapolis, where I currently live. And so I didn't see a lot of major mainstream outlets starting operations, uh, journalistic operations in, in the Midwest at that time. And so I thought, you know, if they're not going to do it, like I will, I will have to do that. Um, so we launched in April of 2018 and um, it's now a, a revenue producing um, operation uh, for me, it's kind of a side hustle right now still, but um, it's a really cool thing that I get, I get to do. And it's, uh, you know, help paid uh, trips uh, for me uh, reporting uh, in places like New Hampshire and Iowa, kind of early important states in the political process, um, as well as here in Indiana. So it's been a really cool uh, journey over the last 24 months or so.
1: That's well, amazing. Yeah. Some- oh, well, go what- ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say before we get into the beginning with running, just you kind of launched into your job. What what led you to becoming a political reporter? How did you get started on that track?
2: Um, in high school, um, I read a book called uh, "Travels with Charlie: In Search oh, of America"
1: by Steinbeck. Uh, I love Steinbeck. Yeah, by
2: Steinbeck. And um, for those who haven't read the book, it's basically in the in the in the 70s. Uh, John Steinbeck is at the peak of his. Ah, uh, literary powers, and he realizes that he has lost touch with uh, his America, the country that he uh, came to fame in. And so he decides to basically pack up into a, a truck and a camper, and his dog um, Charlie, and they kind of travel around America. They they actually go through the Rust Belt from the East Coast to the West Coast, down through the South, and uh, it's it's a piece of nonfiction, even though Steinbeck wrote fiction. Uh, but basically, when I read that, I thought, man, like, I, this is the kind of life that I want to live. I want to, you know, travel around and sort of rediscover America uh, on a moment to moment basis and and see how other people li- live and then write about it. And so, uh, you know, as it turns out, like, that's kind of what I've ended up doing, uh, minus the camper and the dog at this point. <laughs>
0: Uh, I want to bring up one, one thing real quick. So a couple years ago, before the election in 2016, um, you had posted something on Twitter and you had asked for people who wanted to be interviewed about something. And I was and they should DM you. Well, I DM'd you. I had a phone call with you. I never saw anything from it. And I'm a little bitter about it, except for the fact that my points of view back then were stupid and I regret everything I said.
2: <laughs> did I not did I not include you in that piece? I don't remember. I don't think I ever saw Okay, the piece. I'm going to I'm going to go try to find it. But I believe I believe I did include you. Um, but basically, the piece was for listeners. Um, I interviewed in 2016 um, undecided voters uh, in key states. And, um, you know, you stuck out to me because you were from Ohio and, you know, that's my home state personally. Uh, but uh, also Ohio is a, a very key bellwether state. Whoever wins Ohio wins the nation. And so I wanted to kind of get your insights to that. I'll have to go and look that up. I, I'm pretty sure I included you, but uh, I will go fact check that after and, and the interview.
0: I just want to say I regret the decisions I made um, in that interview and afterwards. Um, but that's, sure. that's it. We, we don't have to I go any further were, than that.
2: Okay. But. I think you might have been at the time a Bernie voter. Bernie or-
0: I wanted to be. I okay, wanted. To
2: gotcha. be. Yeah.
0: And I couldn't. And that's so gotcha. yeah, I was, I was bitter. Gotcha. Cool. I was, we
2: that,
0: had I this, was oh, that guy. I apologize, America. No, I was no judgment.
1: We had this conversation last week.
0: Gotcha. Oh, no judgment. No judgment here. Well yeah, you're in the media. You can't. That's right, you, that's right. You, privately I guess you can yeah yeah. you do a great job in in your in your stuff even though you are on the trail with uh Pete Buttigieg uh which is amazing uh and that's really cool that you're able to do that but you're, you're still very you know unbiased
2: yeah you know that means a lot to hear um I it's something I strive for um I think it's I think it's difficult sometimes because um it's not difficult to be unbiased but it's difficult to, I think, it's, uh, maintain that perception um, of unbiased because, uh, you know, people sort of like, you know, go through your tweets and like any sentences you write, any pieces you write, and they look for sort of any hint of bias. And so, you know, so that you would kind of think that after, you know, reading my stuff, that, that means a lot to me. Like, it's something I strive for. It's not always, um, It's not always possible or obtainable because I think... You know, as as humans, we all sort of have natural biases, uh, not just in politics, but, you know, rural versus urban. Um, You know, I'm I'm clearly an Ohio State fan as opposed to a a Michigan fan. So, you know, we all have different sort of biases. Um, But I think it's important to sort of like recognize them, own them and, um, you know, try to pursue fairness, uh, even if you don't achieve it.
0: So do you have any, like, real memorable m- memories um, in-, in your career, whether it's with Pete or just otherwise?
2: Yeah, um, I do. Uh, you know, uh, one of the cool things that I've been able to do um, as a reporter is to, um, you know, report in the Midwest. And a couple of the, of the big memories that come to mind uh, are covering the 2015 uh, Iowa State Fair um and this is in august of 2015 uh i went to iowa and uh covered uh donald trump visiting the state fair for the first time and you know he kind of like helicoptered in uh to this little league field um and then took a golf cart to the the actual fairgrounds um and at the time like i talked my way onto the golf cart and got an interview with him um on the golf cart as he was riding it uh, and then kind of followed him around the Iowa state fair. Um, And at that point, he was sort of being covered like a, like a joke. Uh, Like, you know, this guy's going to drop out at any, any point in the process. And, you know, it turns out that, uh, you know, as I followed him around the fair, like you could tell there were just, you know, throngs of, of Iowa farmers of voters who, who uh, were, essentially like laying off the red carpet for him and like really wanted to connect with him. And that was sort of the first moment that I really realized, wow, like this guy is, this guy has a, a base of support that you're not really seeing on the news. Um, Hmm. and then, and then from there I would sort of flash forward to about the same time period, three years in the future, uh, and this time I was with a, uh, with, with, a Democrat, um, instead of a Republican. And I was sort of running through South Bend, uh, with Pete Buttigieg, the, 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 former mayor of that town in the Rust Belt, uh, who of course is now one of the front runners for the Democratic nomination. And, you know, he gave me a running tour of the city. He's a, he's an avid runner, a half marathoner. Um, he's about a 7:30 miler and, uh, every, uh, every day that there's a debate or kind of a primary contest, he goes on a run with his staff in whatever city he happens to be in. And, uh, just running with him and kind of talking about whether or not he was going to pursue the presidency. Um, you know, I could kind of tell just being with him that he had, you know, significant ideas and that he was, um, articulate and really had something to offer to the national conversation. Um, and so I think I might be the only reporter that was covering both Donald Trump in 2015 and Pete Buttigieg in 2018 um, nationwide. So, you know, you've got a Republican and a Democrat. And so to be kind of at the beginning of both of those stories was, you know, a really cool thing and just, you know, really cool memories that, uh, you know, whatever happens and whatever you think of either politician, like it, just cool stories to share with uh You know, my grandkids, hopefully, one day.
1: Now, you have – this is a running podcast, so we should talk running a little bit. Sure. You you are yourself a runner, so let's go back to your running origin story. What really got you started as a runner?
2: Yeah, so I started running track um, at at the club level in fifth grade um, in Ohio, um, in Buffalo, Ohio, Uh, and, um, kind of started out with, I was, for whatever reason, I was drawn to longer distances. Uh, and so for me, that looked like the, the 1500, meter at the time, the half mile and the mile, and, uh, just really, I don't know, something about running, um, at a distance seemed like heroic to me. And I was drawn to that more than, than sprinting. Um, and so, you know, really got into running in middle school, um, in seventh grade, I, I read a book about uh, Steve Prefontaine, uh, the late American distance runner, mm-hmm. and really became captivated by his story. Uh, and then, of course, uh, around that same time, the twin uh, biopics about Prefontaine came out. Um, there was one with Jared Leto yeah. and then another one with Billy Crudup uh, on like HBO and another one was on... Um, maybe Showtime or another one of the, the premier networks. And both of those, like his sort of legend and story really connected with me when I was a middle schooler. Um, So much show that uh, at an early like high school track meet when I was a freshman in high school, uh, Benjamin Logan high school, I, I told my friends like, Hey, um, you know, I'm going to run this 1600 meter race. And no matter like where I'm at um, after the half mile, if you guys start shouting go pre like no matter what I'm doing I will just start sprinting like no matter how bad it hurts just if you yell go pre like I will just start sprinting and so they did that and um I sort of got the nickname uh, among my high school class uh, of pre and um it kind of stuck and obviously like clearly given my talent uh, which is sort of like middling. It didn't fit at all in in like real, <laughs> like the real world. Like I was not pre Fontaine, but um, you know, the, I actually had a, a, a vanity. I'm embarrassed to admit this, uh, but I actually had a vanity license plate. It was like uh, one pre uh, in Ohio. Um, I, so I had that made and like drove around with it uh, in my like 1990 Toyota Celica. Um, and so should have had long... the gold MG, man. I know that's right, that's right. So, um, but uh, yeah, so I, you know, loved running from an early, early time in my life, uh, followed track and field for a while, um, and just for whatever reason, sort of like gravitated towards long distances. Um, but uh, after high school, um, I actually played uh, college soccer and high school soccer and, and club soccer in Ohio. And so I I went to college in Indiana on a college soccer scholarship and so always enjoyed running but never really like ran a longer distance than maybe like five or six miles until uh, well after college uh, when I was looking kind of to get back into running and uh, actually didn't run my first uh, marathon until 2015 and uh, actually ended up running a marathon, a full marathon before... I ever ran a half marathon. Um, Same. So, yeah, I, I I did not follow the order that you're supposed to follow, uh, but um, yeah, ever since then it's been quite, you know a continuing love story. Uh, I've run about nine half marathons and seven full marathons, um, and it's just been a really uh, meaningful part of my life. It, it it helps me to be a better better person. Uh, running helps me to be. Uh, a better father um, and it helps me to be a better husband or better, a better journalist. And so um, it's just a, a big part of my life. And um, I'm, I'm just grateful to the sport for, for everything that it's given me and everything that it's helped me become.
0: So when you say it makes you like, I know what it means to me when I say running makes me a better father, a better husband, Yeah, you know, better at my job, but like, how does it affect you? Uh, in those ways, like, what are kind of the, the, I guess, tangible ways that you can tell us that that affects you? Because I'm, I'm curious to hear somebody else's thoughts. Sure, sure, like yeah. That.
2: So, um, you know, as a journalist, I spend so much of my day staring at my phone, um, on email, on Twitter, writing, and, um, you know, in different places than where I'm actually at. So, you know, for example, tonight I'm going to be in Indianapolis. Uh, But there's a presidential debate happening on the Democratic side in Las Vegas, and that's kind of where my attention will be uh, tonight. Um, But when I'm running, wherever I'm at is where my feet are, and I'm completely 100% present and uh, paying attention to my body, uh, the world around me, and I'm in the moment. And the more time I spend doing that, uh, the more I learn how to be present in my everyday life, uh, whether that's with my uh, 14-month-year-old daughter, or with my wife, or you know when I'm riding with my with my work, and so I think that's that's one of the disciplines that uh, that marathoning in particular and training for marathons has has taught me.
0: Golly, your daughter's 14 months old. You and I have been interacting for a lot longer than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I think Goodness. it's maybe been. 2015 or
2: 2016. Yeah, I, well, I guess,
0: yeah, we did talk before the 2016 election. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we had to have some type of rapport before that. Sure, yeah, yeah. So um,
2: my daughter was born in December of 2018, and um, my wife and I have been married for about 10 years before that. So it's been quite a shock to the system to go from, you know, just being uh, a married guy to you know, having a daughter, but it's been, it's been a great, uh, great addition to our lives. Uh, definitely like tricky to like work marathon training in, uh, on a daily basis. That was kind of a, an adjustment and, a, and to be frank, it's still sort of happening. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's quite, quite the balancing act to cover presidential campaigns, uh, be a marathoner, and then also like be a dad and a husband.
0: Are you training for anything currently?
2: Um, I am. I actually, uh, be- before we chatted tonight, I just finished a, uh, an Orange Theory class, uh, which for, for people not familiar, it's basically just like a 60-minute treadmill, uh, weight floor, and uh, rowing session. Uh, but I'm training for the, uh, the Indy Mini, uh, the Indianapolis okay. Mini Marathon, which is a half marathon that takes place uh, on the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway in part uh, in May. Uh, so I'm training for that. Uh, and then a, a, a week or so after that, I'm going to be running the, uh, the Grand Rapids. Um, it's a, uh, let's see. It's like a, it's like a 16 mile road race, um, that happens in May. It's a, it's a pretty fun race. Uh, and then later this fall, uh, I will be running the Columbus marathon for the first oh, time, oh. uh, in a couple years. So, uh, this oh, wow. of the races on the horizon right
0: now. We will both be there too. I'm oh, gonna awesome. get to meet you in person. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's, that's so, cool. I, the, my last uh, Columbus Marathon that I had was a, was a brutal kind of experience. It was uh, it was in 2017, and um, uh, the temperature was pretty pretty brutal, and it was uh, it was not a great experience. Um, you know, I thought I was in shape for a, like a 3:20 marathon PR, uh, but with the heat, um, and, uh, kind of the overzealousness of running a, a half marathon PR two weeks before, uh, that it, it did not turn out well. Um, okay. and so like it, I took, I took it off the last couple of years, but now feels like the time to try to like reconquer it and, uh, get back on the bike.
1: How the heck do you manage to juggle being out on a campaign trail and marathon train at the same time?
2: Uh, he runs with the it. candidate
0: wheels. Yeah, yeah,
2: no. <laughs> uh, I do not, no, I do not do a good job of it. Um, a, a funny story, um, so last, um, last November, uh, I was on a four-day bus tour of Iowa in 2019 with Pete Buttigieg, and his campaign, and uh, I ran into him at the hotel uh, on, the, on the first night, and he was checking out running routes on, uh, on, on an app the night before uh, in Decorah, Iowa, which is like this really rural part of Iowa that's almost close to Minnesota. And he was trying to figure out like where he was gonna run the next morning and had just bought like long pants. And it was like all I could do to like wake up in the morning at, like, 7 o'clock just to get on the bus. And, like, here he is, like, trying to, like, figure out and map his route, like, as he's campaigning for for president. So uh, he is, like, far dis- more disciplined than I am. I didn't, I didn't get a run in the next morning. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's the real question is how does he, how does he, like, stay running as he's running for president? So.
0: Adam just texted me to ask you something. Um, so i I guess Adam is asking you this through me. Sure. Uh, so do you have any particularly great, so you gave us a bad running memory with Columbus and we have the photo evidence that you sent me to prove how bad yeah. this yeah. was and the pain yeah. you're in. Um, do, um, do you have any like great memories in running? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, actually I will, I will kind of share one that dovetails with that bad memory Um, you know, I had, I had thought that going into that Columbus marathon in 2017, that I was in PR shape, um, and my very first marathon in, uh, 2015, just to sort of like set the context, like I didn't really train properly. I didn't know what I was doing and I ran about a a 432 marathon, which, which isn't great. Um, but, uh, in, in about a year's time, I was able to take about an hour or so off that, off that time. Little less than an hour, actually, um, and in twenty in uh, twenty seventeen, uh, when I ran the Columbus Marathon and had a terrible performance, uh, I think I ran like a three fifty two, which you know wasn't great. But I thought I was in three twenty shade. and about three weeks later, I turned around after the Columbus Marathon and ran another marathon uh, in Indianapolis and actually uh, PR'd. Um, in that race um, and so within the span of about six weeks like I had a half marathon PR um, a terrible Columbus race and then I PR'd the, uh, the, Indi- the Indianapolis Monumental Marathon a few weeks later so um, I it's not I like I still think I was in better shape than that PR promised I, and I it, because of like inexperience and lack of wisdom and like too much too much ambition i i ran too many races in a short amount of time but was still able to uh to pr that hometown race uh for me in indianapolis so i think that's that's a really good memory
0: you might have kind of lucked out with the bad weather at columbus honestly because you 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 probably you didn't expend all your training that day
2: yeah so you didn't have like a
0: extended recovery going into indy
2: yeah, I think you're, I think that's probably a good uh, analysis there.
0: What I'm here for.
1: One, uh, one last running question before we finish up with a little bit more politics. Uh, how much are you able to pay attention to professional running at all?
2: Um, quite a bit. Um, okay. I sub- I subscribe to the NBC um, uh, t- uh the Gold uh, Track and Field uh, app. Um, and so, I, um, I watch as many, like, major marathons as I can um, in real time. Um, and obviously, like, follow runner's world and the running news. Um, and so, I'm, I'm pretty interested in professional running. Um, mostly, I would, I would say that, like, the marathon level at this point, And occasionally, like, I'll follow the half marathon. Um, but to be quite honest, like, out of, outside of an Olympic year, like, I really – don't care a lot about like the sprinters um, or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, I love, I love following uh, professional distance running.
1: So is there, is there anything specifically this year that you're really excited about the Olympics I'm guessing?
2: Yeah. um, I'm interested in the Olympics. I'm interested in the marathon team that the U S is going to produce. Some of my favorite professional uh, runners will not be, um, will not be representing the United States. Um, I'm a big fan of Noah Drotti. Um He is a, an Indianapolis runner. Uh, you probably know him from his, uh, his kind of like long hair uh, and sunglasses and hat. Um, he's been injured. Um, uh, I really am a, a fan of uh, Parker Stinson. Um, do you know any of these
1: guys? Looking up now, Noah Parker Stinson. I know Noah Dradi. I feel like I, if I saw a picture, I would.
2: Yeah, if you Google Noah Dradi. oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, he's a pretty incredible runner that I follow. Um, of course, like you know, I'm an Elliot Kipchoge fanboy, um, <laughs> and um, I'm still, you know, I, I've been a fan and I've supported you know, Galen Rupp, um, throughout his, his career. Um, but with all of the Nike Oregon project, uh, controversy, I, I at times feel conflicted about my, my fandom of him. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what he's going to do with a new coach. Uh, and, um, you know, it seems like he's passed most of, most of his, uh, doping testing. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm letting myself, uh, you know, continue to be a fan of him, although like that's not a very popular position to have on on running Twitter. It seems like right or now. Or those podcasts, but oh, it's not. You guys not? I uh, I, Rupp I can't
0: stand Galen Rob. I yeah. I never liked him. Yeah,
2: yeah. He is not like he also like doesn't try very hard to endear himself to his yes. fans. Yeah. Um, he he does not. Um, he does not like really uh, open himself up to the press a lot. Um, so I think that's a problem. Um, you know, as a reporter, that bothers me. Um, but, you know, as sort of like a US distance running fan, uh, you know, I think for a while he was sort of like the great hope. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, no one really has ever um, embodied the spirit of the United States. And the spirit uh, that sort of comes with being like a a distance runner in in America um, as Prefontaine did. And so, you know, it's really it's a really high bar, but I just loved his sort of like rebellious nature and, um, you know, think about him a lot and feel like he embodied so much of what it means to not only be an American, but um, an American distance runner. And so no one's really come come close to him for me.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm kinda of surprised. We recorded an episode a couple weeks ago after the passing of Kobe Bryant. We we talked about that for a while. I I'm really surprised that like we never brought up Prefontaine because in running that that death was the same to or parallel to Kobe yeah. Bryant's passing. I mean it was sure. some, it was an accident. It sure you, know, you had no idea and he was you know, he he was kinda of past his prime, but he was still you know, bigger than far bigger than the sport itself. Sure. And, you know, to just have somebody go like that. Um, yeah. He was, he was bigger than life and yeah, uh, we lost. And, a- and I
2: think, yeah. And I think one of the things about Prefontaine, Fontaine um, that was a little different than Kobe is, you know, we never knew what his full potential was mm-hmm. uh, after the 1972 uh, Munich games. Like, right. He held so many records uh, in American distance running, but uh, his death, I think, in a lot of ways was comparable to that of James Dean, um, who, you know, wasn't a runner, but he was uh, an actor and sort of like died before at such a young age that we really didn't know like all of the things he was capable of of achieving in, in that discipline.
0: Well, and how good would Pre have been now, being able to continue to run the Olympics and run professionally and have sponsorships? Like, what instead of fighting for those rights, like how yeah. good would he have been had he had them? That's right, and he would have been running in like the
2: Vaporfly Elite. Uh, <laughs> so he, you know, he would have been able to like take so much off of his time. But uh, yeah, it's one of the great sort of like counterfactual questions of. Of American distance running is like what? What? What did we lose um, in terms of American accomplishments in that sport from his uh, untimely early early death?
0: So we're going to switch back to politics real quick. Um, we're not going to keep you much longer here. Uh, but I wanted to ask, what's it like? So this is a very polarizing day and age in politics. Uh, what's it like to be? On the just a reporter in general on Twitter, uh, I, you have a you have a guy who created a satire account about you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, That's it, when you know you've made it.
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like I'm not sure what's I'm not sure what's more embarrassing, like the fact that there's a satire account of me, or the fact that like it's not even good satire and only has like 55 followers. Like, I feel it's sort of like uh, an own against me. Like, if your own parody account on Twitter can't get more than 55 followers, like, what does that say about you? So, like, I feel like the guy, like, owned me two different ways. Like, one, there's a satire account, but two, like, he can only get, like, 54 or 55 followers uh, about me. So, I don't know what that says uh, about my popularity or lack thereof it, but... You're right. It is kind of a difficult time um, to be a journalist in American politics, not only um, not only on the right side of politics where, you know, you go to a Trump rally or I went recently in Indianapolis to the NRA uh, conference, um, the National Rifle Association conference, which was held in Indianapolis and sort of got like yelled at by gun owners who I was trying to interview. But on the left side um, of Twitter, it's also like a dicey proposition uh, with Bernie bros who come after you. Um, I recently found myself crossways with like hundreds and hundreds of Bernie bros on Twitter and, um, you know, had to had to like leave Twitter for a couple of days just to kind of ride out the 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 storm. Um, But, yeah, it's it's like it's difficult to be a journalist um, and try to strive for neutral coverage, uh, people are always going to, to be unhappy, like with you, depending on, on what you create or produce. Um, you know, it's going to upset somebody, but if it's upsetting somebody, um, I think that's, that's a sign of like truth. That's a sign that you're, you're getting close to the truth when you upset a certain portion of the population. If you're writing stuff that, that no one's is getting upset with that's that's a pretty good indication that you're you're not really trying to touch um, touch reality and and convey reality so um, it's it's part of the profession and um, one of the things that I'm learning about is is how to kind of like limit my time on Twitter and how Twitter you know isn't real life and you know even even when I have you know a lot of followers or a lot of retweets like that is not a good measurement of my value as a human. And right. um, it's easy to become intoxicated by Twitter when you feel like you've written a good story or you know posted something that people like. Um, but you're never as good or as bad as, as you come across on Twitter. So it's something that I'm, I'm learning to kind of wrestle with. Um, kind of as a Midwesterner, you know, I'm raised with the idea that it's important to be polite to everybody, but also um, it's important for like everybody mm-hmm. to like you. Uh, I don't know if that's uniquely Midwestern, but it feels like it is to me. Um, you know, growing up in Ohio, that it felt like Ohio was sort of the the average of all of America. Like Ohio was home to the mean. You know, in elections, Ohio is a good indicator for for a candidate's popularity. I think there's something uniquely Midwestern about that. And so I'm learning that uh, it's okay for not everybody to, to like you or be happy with you at any given moment. And uh, if you want to do important work in life, um, you have to learn how to embrace that.
0: I think you hit on something huge for runners that I just want to highlight. And that is, you know, you can feel you were talking about, you know, you write a good story and you get retweets and likes and, you know, that that feels good, but that's not what makes you valuable. And it's not what makes you, you know, it's, it's not a good measurement of the work you're actually putting in. And I, I just see so much, particularly on Instagram, how people kind of get that way. And I think, yeah, they, you know, ah, yeah, this, this got a ton of likes. That must've been great. I'm doing better. Yeah. So. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you know, you, you really draw an interesting connection and an accurate connection between like you know your race day results and the training that you put in um you know you could you could have an amazing training cycle and for whatever reason you know you draw a day on race day that's you know a 76 77 degree day in Mm -hmm. columbus ohio and you have a you have a rough rough day but like that's not what matters like what really matters is like the work that you put in and um and how that changed you as a person in the process uh I don't. I don't know that there's a lot that I've done in, in life that has made me a better person um, than training for a marathon. Um, the work that's required to like get up every day and like consistently chip away at a weekly goal. I mean, that kind of work carries over into other parts of your life, no matter no, no matter whether you intended to or not. Um, you know, when I'm when I'm driving, you know four or five hours a day on the campaign trail, you know, I, I think a lot about how, you know, the patience that you develop on a two hour training run on a Saturday or Sunday morning, um, it just makes you a more patient person. Um, it makes you a more present person. And, uh, you know, I just wish, uh, that, you know, I will be an evangelist for for distance running and distance training my whole life just because of the, the quiet, uh, benefits that has helped me accrue um, in other aspects of my life, whether it's writing uh, and being patient um, uh, for a story idea to come to you or, or sitting, you know, the hours it takes to put together a long magazine story. Um, You know, running has made every aspect of my life better.
1: You, you hit on something that I'm, I'm experiencing, I guess re-experiencing my life right now, talking about how training carries over to other parts of your life. I spent the better part of last year hurt and I've just within the last month really started to be able to start training again regularly and just the different ways that I find it trickling into other aspects of my life. I'm just more productive and just feel better. It's it's fun to re experience it again because I really lost that last year when I didn't have that that running guiding me week in, week out. Yeah.
2: Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, for me, like going on, I I typically do my longest runs on Saturday mornings. Um, And for me, like when I head out on a long run for 20 miles or 15 miles on on a Saturday morning, um, you know, like I'm pretty much like putting my phone in, you know, like a fanny pack or, um, you know, somewhere on my person and I'm, I'm tuning out of Twitter, I'm tuning out of email and politics and you know, I'm just spending time in my own head, um, and time, you know, immersed on the trail, um, and thinking about you know the world around me and my life in a way that I'm more present to than at any other time in my in my daily life or my or my weekly life. So uh, it's just a really cool experience. And I don't know of a lot of disciplines other than, say, like maybe yoga or you know, carpentry for some people that allow, that allow you that kind of, um, head time.
1: All right. One last question, because we'd be remiss not to ask this because you've been on the sure. ground with the camera And it has to
0: be the last one. Cause I think sure. we've already gone over what we told you we were going to go. Yeah, <laughs> sure.
1: Yeah. No problem. <laughs> any, any sort of insight or prediction on how you think the democratic race plays out? You no,
2: know, um, it's really shaping up, uh, to, and I'll probably, you know, eat my words here in a few weeks, but it, it really in a lot of ways is shaping up to be a race between um, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, and uh, former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Um, you know, as, as much as people listening may be uh, a, a, an Elizabeth Warren fan or uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar fan, um, you know, those three sort of figures seem to have the most amount of resources and the most amount of delegates uh, to advance in the race. Um, and really, you know, as you look out at the primary calendar after Super Tuesday and to primaries in Ohio, um, it really, I think, becomes a race between uh, Bernie Sanders and uh, Michael Bloomberg. Um, and so uh, that's kind of where I see it heading to. Um, unless there's some sort of like crazy plot twist where Amy Klobuchar teams up with Pete Buttigieg or, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren teams up with Joe Biden for a unity ticket or something like that. It really seems like it's a race between Bernie Sanders and, and Michael Bloomberg. Uh, and so that's as, that's kind of as like as big of a prediction as I'm willing to make down the home stretch. Uh, but I will say that uh, I don't think that we will have a nominee before the June democratic convention Mm. in Milwaukee. So I think we're, you know, all signs kind of point that we're headed towards a a brokered convention between maybe two or three candidates.
0: Ah, That's what we need. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So so we, we can't totally end on politics. Sure. Um, Yeah. So I got to bring up one of the best tweets I've ever seen. And I find myself like, it pops into my head at certain times throughout my life. Because uh, I'll give an example after I read it. But Adam Wren, who can be found on Twitter at Adam Wren, W R N, tweeted uh, years ago when you compliment a, wit- a Midwesterner on a personal possession, it is custom for him to respond by explaining that he acquired said item at a significant discount. <laughs> There has never been a more true tweet because I I got it. There was one day, like, I just started laughing my ass off when I said it. Somebody complimented, like, a shirt or something at work. And I was like, thanks, Dude. I got it at TJ Maxx
2: for
1: $10. I am legitimately wearing a flannel shirt right now that I bought at Target today on clearance. It doesn't get yeah. more Midwestern.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, clearance at TJ Maxx or Marshalls, that's the yeah. best, because you're getting a discount on the discount. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's just like, I just noticed one day, you know, like, after years of being immersed, you know, I I am from Ohio, I spent most of my life in Ohio, um, I went to college in Indiana, I went to grad school at Northwestern in Illinois, and I married um, a woman from Michigan, uh, so don't, don't hold that against me, fellow Buckeyes. Um, but, uh, I've spent my entire life like steeped in Midwestern, uh, thought and it just struck me one day that there's something about the Midwestern mindset that we are very, like, we are very worried if, if people like compliment us on a nice possession that we have, like, it's very important for us to like undercut the compliment, by explaining that, Oh no, no, no. Like we, we got this on a discount. Like we didn't spend a ton of money on it. Like, don't worry about it. Like we're not, we're not, we're not comfortable enough taking the compliment. Like we have to like explain it away. Um, and so I, you know, it's funny that's that tweet still comes like back around on Instagram or Facebook, even though I deleted it because, uh, I was tired of the notifications that would come in about it, um, but it still comes back up. And finally, within the last week or so, I've I've made peace with myself that no matter what I go on to write the rest of my life, like maybe I'll write the great American novel or or, or kind of My Generation's Travels with Charlie by John Steinbeck. Nobody will read anything more than than what I've written in that tweet. Like that tweet will pretty much be like, the most widely shared thing
0: that I ever write. So I'm, I, I pretty I'm much so sorry to myself t- to that. I'm so sorry to tell you, Adam, you've peaked already.
2: Yeah, I have. Yeah, like <laughs> prefontaine,
0: I peaked early in life. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Well, dude, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. It's kind of a fun time. I, I was really, I, I was glad it even occurred to me. I was like, we need to have... Adam on because you know we're we're really getting in like the throes of the uh democratic primaries and you've been with Pete Buttigieg for a, over a year and yeah, uh yeah. you know I was like we need to have him on while this is you know in the thick it's it is kind of interesting to hear you not mention him uh, yeah. as maybe uh I don't want to say a serious contender because at this point he is yeah. but he's not yeah. in your final two that you think yeah is gonna happen
2: Yeah. And I could be wrong. Um, You know, I think he has a legitimate case to make um, and he has been one of the biggest fundraisers in the race. Um, And of course, like, like the three of us is is from the Midwest. Um, But uh, you know, Bernie Sanders ability to raise money and Michael Bloomberg's ability to spend his own money um, (laughs) are difficult forces to contend with. Uh, Now I could be wrong. Um, And Pete Buttigieg could be like a unity choice at a brokered convention, um, but I do see those two as as front runners um, in a way that I'm not sure he can match. Um, but again, you know, like my job is to sort of like objectively cover Pete Buttigieg and and not be a fanboy, and that's kind of where I see things headed. Um, but yeah, I'm so grateful to talk with you both. I love all things Ohio um, and running, and hopefully we can meet up in person. Uh, at the Columbus Marathon later this oh, yes.
0: year. Yes. Yeah, we're gonna make that happen. Yeah. Because little did I, I don't know if you know, but your your phone number is on your email signature. So. Oh, cool.
2: Yeah. Well, so that's go. just
0: going in my phone. I cool, just cussed yeah. for the first time tonight.
2: That's all right. So, no. Yeah. Do it. Uh, yeah, we'll get a we'll get a beer the night beforehand or or after yeah. race at the finish line, and uh, it'll be awesome. Or both.
0: Um, yeah. Or both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, everybody, Adam Wren, again, you can uh, follow him. Your Instagram and Twitter handles are the same, I believe, right? Just your name? Uh, my
2: Instagram handle is by Adam Wren. So, ah. by uh, Adam Wren, like uh, byline uh, in journalism. And then, yeah, t- Twitter is just at Adam Wren.
0: Uh, follow him, uh, contributing editor for Politico, marathon runner, uh, and a great dad and husband. Thanks for cool. running. So, cool. Adam, thanks for joining us. Other Adam, a.k.a. Wheels, I will see you soon. And the music in the background is Has playing been... us out perfectly yes. right Yes. Oh, awesome. Cool. Sorry about that. No, it's perfect. At all. Random cool. moment in the middle when Take On Me was playing. Yeah. Adam and I both texted each other that it was amazing that it was oh, playing. <laughs> sorry.
2: Yeah, sorry. I tried to find a quiet spot, but uh, this is all I fine. could find.
0: No, no big deal. We, we enjoy it. it, it uh, cool. It, it's all good. So um, you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, please do feel free to rate us. Uh, five stars is preferred unless we suck. Uh, then give us zero. But that allows people to find us a little easier. So Adam, Adam, thanks again. I'll see you next week. Until then, enjoy your mind